Hello, and welcome to episode 89 of Flicks in the Six. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Costanzo, with me forever and always, the man, the myth, crewman number six, Alessandro Boyelsi. Say hello, Al. By Grabthor's hammer, I will avenge you. Yes, on this week's episode, we have a light news week, uh, but we always have nuggets for you. We're recording a little early this week, so I didn't get to do my usual news prep on account of me going on vacation, but we're going to make a good show out of it either way. We're going to do some of that all before diving into our flick of the week, Galaxy Quest, but first, Al, what are we drinking? Uh, Hopefully, I sound alright on this episode, because I am pulling double duty tonight. I already recorded the Spinchy's Court (laughs) Show tonight, so hopefully my voice holds on until the very end. Um, We are drinking... Can't imagine a world where your voice dies out. All right. Um, oh, it'll still be loud. It just won't be as it's like pretty. the eternal flame. Well, I have a nice deep resonant voice. Well, <laughs> the deep the deepness can come and go, I guess. But yeah, um, you get a couple of Bielsi squeaks. Yeah, there. Uh, occasionally, uh, especially when I'm laughing. Um, but oh yeah, I'm just hoping that it won't come out too gravelly by the end. You never have to worry about volume. I'll give you the volume. I'll bring the, the volume. noise. <laughs> the volume. Uh, <laughs> um, nice. So where Anthony gifted me with a couple of his favorite brewery, uh, Magnify Brewing. So this is Magnify Brewing, better late than never, brewed with lactose. It's an Imperial India Pale Ale, uh, 8.4% alcohol by volume. It came in a pint. Um, it's craft brewed in Fairfield, New Jersey. Uh, regrettably, there is no little story on this one, but that's okay. Um, I figured we could do this one now because you gave me three or four of them. And I feel mm-hmm. like we should like break them up, considering we are yeah. we are loaded on show beers right now. Absolutely we are. loaded, exactly the way I like it. Because we're when through I get, the summer. I get yeah no this is gonna this is gonna take us to Star Wars almost. Um, and uh, I, I like that's the, when we're gonna have Han shot first. I imagine uh, that would make sense. Um, <laughs> considering we did never tell me the odds when we did Solo, um, but uh, yeah no I just I like that we're finally getting Magnify on the show because. We had one of my favorite breweries that's become one of your favorite breweries through the show, hailing, harkening back all the way back to episode one, Newberg Brewery. Then we have our like combined favorite through the show, Jack's Abbey, which we did last week. And now we get your favorite that I've had one or two of, but this is now me finally getting an opportunity to have some more of them. So yeah. let's cheers and take a cheers sip, to this one. sip of this. Absolutely. Um... Oh, God, I love their beer. I love it so much. That's interesting. Every Everything they make that I've had, I really, really like. And the majority of them are these, like... The majority of the ones that I've had, but I've also focused on them, obviously, because they're my favorites. But these, like, kind of hazy, juicy juicy ones. Like, and, man, they just have that flavor that I'm looking for. And I, I just, I love them. Yeah, it's interesting because the whole, I was a little bit worried right before we got started, the whole lactose thing, because I've had, like, nitro, like, milk stout. Yeah. And the first three or four sips that I had of that, I loved it. And then the lactose just started, like, sitting on my tongue, mm-hmm. and I felt like I couldn't get the taste of warm milk out of my mouth, mm. which okay, was really fair. a problem for me. Um, and it was really regrettable because at the very beginning I was like, man, this is delicious. It's creamy and smooth. And then eventually the aftertaste was just killing me. I right. don't think that's going to be an issue with this because it's got the IPA finish. Right. Uh, but I can get cut through it. that creamy mouthfeel. You there. get the film. Yes. But which is, it's, it is a nice like, like mouthfeel to it, but the actual residual flavor that's sitting on my tongue is hop driven. It's, it's the bitterness and the, it's very, 
um, that coniferous style of hops, which uh, I appreciate. Um, and yeah, it's got the, <laughs> the hazy look, like you said, like the New England style. Uh, yep. It's definitely strong. You can tell this would be dangerous to drink a bunch of. Oh yeah. Uh, so speaking of which, let's let's dive into a little a little story, a little the, anecdote. From a little when I went to magnify. Oh, I thought you were gonna go with a little story that I just told you right before we got on there. Because <laughs> so, both uh, have to we, do with drinking too much. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, we uh, so on my birthday, Kim took me to magnify. It was the first time I got to go to the brewery, and I loved it. Um, I very much enjoyed everything that I had. Granted, everything that I had was in this percent range. Yeah. Uh, so this was this was the last one that I sampled. So. Ooh, I was I was feel I was feeling it by then, and uh, when I, I went bet. up there, I, just, I, I bet <laughs> the uh, the stand up gentleman behind the the bar. Um, I, I I I don't know you, you don't know me, but I appreciate you, and here's why. Um, I I was in like semi talkative mode where I wasn't where I'm I'm usually shy around people, but a couple of drinks and I'm okay with talking to you like <laughs> very easily. Uh, so when I went up to there and I asked for the beer. I was like, ooh, which one haven't I tried yet that has... Oh, all of these had citra hops in them. All the ones that I tried had citra hops in them. And uh, I was like, oh, the, oh, there's one left I haven't tried yet. I was like, can I get the uh, better latte than never? <laughs> and I want... And here's... <laughs> That's not a coffee stout, guys. No. And not only, not only did he not correct me when he handed it to me, he said, this one's the better latte. <laughs> and I was like, I, I noticed it immediately after i said it and i was like uh yeah those words are out there and he was already going to pour it and i was like well if i correct this at any point now it's just gonna be too weird so i'm just gonna leave it but he he came in with a smile and a beer and i was like that's a that's that's a good bartender (laughs) (laughs) i I appreciate that and then i proceeded to buy like 126 dollars worth of beer and merchandise on the way out the door jesus (laughs) (laughs) Uh, not sorry (laughs) it was delightful so it sounds like you did the thing that I was describing to you off air where mm. you drink too much and then you wake up and realize you spent too much money as opposed to the existential crisis I had where I woke up and I had way too much money after your birthday. Banana. What have I done? And what have I done? Yes. Apps went into an absolute panic. Cause I was like, Oh, because they're all your friends and yep. family that I was with. And I was like, I don't love that I don't remember how I got all this money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. We, we It all worked out. Oh, yeah. It's no, for, it it, is, for, it is for your goods and services. Yeah. So, there's but, that. Um, but, uh, man, man, do I love that beer. Ra- yeah, rounding off this uh, conversation on the beer, um, I think that the can art is cool because it's very crisp and clean. Mm-hmm. And it's bright. Um, and even just, like, having the white background actually allows it to have some nice, like... Uh, the way that the, it kind of stands up in relief, the the dark colors, very loud in the front with all the rainbow colors. Um, yeah, I dig. The, well, this is their the thing. Uh, pretty standard for their beer cans. It's like a white background, three blue stripes with a craft brewed in Fairfield, New Jersey. They have like the New Jersey logo on the right side, but then the logo is on the bottom center, and then hanging over it, clipped by the logo, is like almost like a house banner with the name of the beer on it. That's, that's most of their different styles inside of that house banner, but that's, that's the part that changes. And I, yeah. I really like the style. Yeah. I'm a fan. I like how they keep it consistent within the brand. Um, and then they find a way to tweak it, the badge in the center. Um, yeah, I dig it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a two thumbs up. <laughs> Look forward to seeing that on, on our Shocker. respective untapped Anthony's who's 
are you just AEJ Costanzo for Untapped or uh, probably it's either that or like Antwizzy or something ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> well, two dramatically different things that uh, we just mentioned. It's um, Antwizzy, A N T W I Z Z Y, and then F L I, then the number six, six on Untapped for the show itself. Um, Much like the hashtag you can use if you want to reach us, which I've forgotten the last few times, but I remembered last episode. <laughs> nice. Also, hashtag awesome. Hammer Cavill. <laughs> oh wow, we haven't hammered Cavill in a while. Yeah. Uh, we gotta bring that back. We haven't hammered Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, I like I said, not a ton of news that I have here. Uh, I, I, couple, I brought the news in the nuggets today. Okay, that's good. So I'm gonna. <laughs> you, why don't you get off, and then uh, we'll come back to some of these little little guys that I have here. Why don't I get off? It's gonna take a little while. <laughs> <Why don't> you... <laughs> My God, you haven't pulled you off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do some quick hitters. <laughs> oh, man. That's from Thor Ragnarok. If you don't get that reference that, and you haven't watched that movie, you're making poor life decisions. <laughs> um, quick one here. Um, Daniel Craig hurt his ankle postponing the shooting of Bond 25. Um, apparently, he was running in a scene. This is according to a source mm-hmm. on the set. Sprained his ankle. It's... Not at least he doesn't have the Millennium Falcon closing on it, so it's probably not a break, or at least not as bad of one. But this sure. may slow down a few weeks. They had already pushed the release date of this one a bit. I think it currently stands at April of 2020. I forget the date itself. So hopefully this won't push them back more than a couple of weeks, and they'll still be able to hit that target date. Um, mm. and hopefully he's, he's okay. Um, weird thing is they were shooting it in England, and they flew him to the U.S. Like It's not like he came down with some sort of rare strain of cancer like he it's an ankle i feel like they could deal with that in britain right they've never just what what if it's just like this weird thing that they've never seen a rolled ankle like it just never happened (laughs) (laughs) the most common of sports industries or injuries sports industries yeah uh, i'm good for one of those an episode at least (laughs) the thing is i haven't even been drinking until now although i had a hell of a workout and i was worried that Spin June Sports Show episode for this week. There was just going to be like pauses where like I wasn't really there because I get that oh like post workout like hollow eye thing where like <laughs> thousand yard stare. Like yeah. I seen some shit type of feel. It's so similar to your drunk face. <laughs> yeah, um, that was something else. It's been a while since I've been that drunk. Um, <laughs> the thing is, right, I, I, I was, don't get that drunk that too. often because I have a pretty good constitution when your alcohol is concerned. I, that was so after our top golf uh well the thing is we had to we had to spend a certain amount of money there which translated to buckets and pitchers of beer which was great it was and it was it was decent stuff uh, it was actually i was surprised more at than the selection decent. yeah like so they had they had local stuff which i love when when that's the case and they had a lot of it so like that was that was really great uh and then when we got back we we did the growler of uh of one of the magnify beers and man that's a homemade ice cream espresso so downers and uppers i forgot was, about the ice cream yeah <laughs> did yeah. i drink espresso you drank espresso um it was half a cup of espresso with a full a shot or two of bailey's in it yeah that sounds right uh yeah you know what okay um, yeah. and that probably explains why I, I poured my espresso that, on the ice cream and it was amazing that probably was probably why i remember going to bed uh, cause the espresso finally kicked in. <laughs> I lost some time in that night. And thankfully all after we got back to your house, I was just afraid I made a ass of myself with your friends. 
Um, <laughs> of which I know most are all... No, I guess I knew everyone who was there. At least I've met them all at least once. Um, but yeah. I know some of them fairly well. Um, yeah, it's fine. Crisis averted. It's okay. But... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, getting back to the news notes and nuggets, um, I will go with another quick one here. Um, yeah. John Williams has begun scoring Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker, and thus has seen a substantial amount of the first cut, and he's a big fan. Ah, oh, so good. And just, just like that, <laughs> my anticipation rises like a crescendo in his music. <laughs> I can't... Uh... This, this year is too much. It's too much for my heart to handle. I really hope he goes out with a bang, because this will be the last Star Wars that he scores. At least the one, last one he scores all of. Um, he may contribute a theme like he did with Solo, but it sounds like he's really, really pretty done with that. Which, you know, it's been doing it for over 40 years, so that's his prerogative. Um, and he is a rather old man now. Um, I... It's really funny. I will give a little teaser for the listeners. I'm, I'm putting together a little something for Endgame. Um, that I've been working on for a bit. It's it's mostly just me gushing over the movie. Uh, like obviously, I loved it. And uh, what I say in the opening though is pretty much like I've never felt this way about a movie before, and I don't think I will feel this way again for a very long time or until December. <laughs> well, so we'll have to we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, but yeah, that's that's exciting. It's like it's real, you know. And, it's and also, you just got a text from me. Um... Because I was responding. Did you hear a giant bing? I heard a ding, yeah. Um, ah, damn it. I thought was, I muted everything. Because <laughs> it just reminded me that Brian texted us right as we were getting started. And I forgot to answer. That's Brian of the Spin Tune fame. Um, <laughs> and I'm responding to him because I'm re- remembering now. And uh, yeah, so he was asking about the thumb scale for reviews. Uh, <laughs> mm, fair enough. Um, well, anyway, hang on. The thumb scale you... relates to beers. Yeah, but he wants my to... movie scale is a, is a ten slot, and I will be doing an article on that as well. Yeah, but he wants to do a game review using your thumb scale. That's what he was asking. About. Got it. Got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty excited for all that too. We had something new on the Spin Tune site this week from Shafe. This is his second piece. Uh, he did one about living life working in a cubicle, uh, which came out pretty damn entertaining. Uh, you were a fan. Yeah, it was it was funny. It was uh, a lot of the stuff is is right on the nose. Uh, uh, it's been a while since I've worked in an office. Uh, working from home is but you've, amazing. You've paid your dues. It, and I will never go back. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, no, it was fun. I think mostly, I've also, wa- I'm watching The Office for the first time. And reading through that with the context was, it, it was very entertaining. Yeah, there was a good, there was a good Office uh, reference in there. For sure. But no, it's, it's fun. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're getting some folks writing for it and we're getting some new content in there because it's, it's, it's entertaining stuff. It's, honestly, like our, our whole goal is just for a couple of chuckles. That's it. That's yeah. what we're here for. So If, if we can brighten your day for eight minutes once or twice a week, uh, then we feel like we've done your jo- our job. Um, eight we... minutes. That's pretty good. That means that out of our sometimes two-hour runtime, if we get eight minutes of good content, by your standards, we've succeeded. <laughs> oh, I was just talking about the written content, actually. Because <laughs> we have, we've been averaging since we added Shafe and Gary, and Brian has returned. We've been averaging one to two posts a week. Which is, yeah, which is great. Of written as, as you know, those of us, those of you who have been with us for a while know that we've We've ebbed and flowed when it comes to content flowing through the site, and that's honestly just because it was the two of us, and it's a lot to do for two people, (laughs) and having extra hands. It flowed for like three months with the three of us, and then Brian disappeared for a bit, 
and then it the the faucet was turned off fully and now the yeah. faucet has been turned back on and doubly so because we well we i guess it's like 80 percent more because we added two new guys and <laughs> Now we have five. Uh, <laughs> Stop trying to do math. <laughs> I, the thing is, I'm generally pretty good at it, but this is the second time Same. now between this and in the last show, uh, or in, in the Spin Tune Sports Show episode this week, I did some poor math on that one too. Um, <laughs> it was very off the cuff, and I was playing with percentages. It, it gets dangerous when you play with percentages um, like that. Uh, <laughs> there was one, anyway, it's one of those things uh, uh, with Jay, a uh, friend of the show, friend of us, I was at, at, the, at the birthday bash, uh, Jay's actually very good at math, except when I'm in the room. <laughs> and it's really funny. You just he just becomes completely math crippled. Like he can't he just can't do it if I'm there. And I don't know why, but like he he tried to split a check once <laughs> and I was there and it and it just fell apart. I then another time where I was out of the room he did it and came into the room and it was fine. <laughs> I guess I just make him nervous. I don't know why. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway. Uh, if you haven't before, check out spintune.com for some of our written stuff. We've been having fun with it. Some of it's even been pretty good. Um, all of it's been at least mildly entertaining. Um, <laughs> it's I. It, we're making the site that we want to go to. So yes, it's fun. and we it's hope fun. that that means you want to as well. So finishing up my sp- Star Wars notes for the yeah the night. Um, I also have very one very brief one that I saw a couple weeks ago, but I don't think we brought up on the show. I think I meant to mention it to you. Did you see that J.J. Abrams met with George Lucas before writing Episode Nine? No. That's interesting. How does that make you feel? I'm okay with it. I am too. Um, I think that, obviously, having input from him in whatever capacity, even if it's just to bounce ideas off him, is a great idea. He's not getting a writing credit in this. this none of this would have existed without him. And right. to be fair... To him, and this is a twofold thing. One from my own experience very recently, and from something I was listening to a few weeks ago. Um, I mentioned, I think on the show, I definitely know I told it to you, um, that I'm going through a watch chronologically in the Star Wars canon. From episode one on with my sister, because she's seen bits of some movies. She's seen all of one or two of them. She's never really retained any of it, uh, but... She's been doing a good job of expanding horizons with all this stuff. And I've built up enough goodwill referring movies to her that she's really enjoyed that aren't things that she would have sought out on her own. So I said, listen, Episode 9 is coming out. You've seen some of them. Like uh, She came to the theaters and saw Episode 7 with us. I don't think she ever saw 8. And she's seen bits and pieces a million times of the original trilogy, bits of the prequel trilogy. I think she actually came with us to the theaters for Episode 3 when that came out, but she was very young. Yeah. Um, so I was like, listen, just sit down and watch them. You have eight months to do it. Because uh, we had this conversation several weeks ago. That's one a month. That's. I was like, I was like, it's almost one a month. Like, And we've actually done two of them in like three weeks. Um, I was like, just let's just go with it. Like the first two are a little bit of a struggle, but just get an idea of it. Well, like I'll stop and pause it and I'll explain it to you and it'll be great. And like this way, like you never feel lost. If you ever feel lost... Just tell me. I'll pause it. I'll, I'll catch you up and then you'll be good to go. Just get a sense for all of this because it was a landmark in movie making. And to be able to appreciate that sort of run from start to finish, I think, is important for everyone. Even if you ultimately choose to just be a very casual fan of the series, that's all fine. Or if it's, oh, I only like the originals or I only like the newer ones, whatever. Um, so 
as I'm rewatching, we've seen episode one and episode two. We, we're going to watch episode three this week, actually, I think. Um, I have been... It's been a long time, actually, since I sat down and watched all of episode one. Or even much mm. of it, really. Um, and I, But all the other ones I've seen at least part of at least once a year, if not more. Okay. Um, but it's been a while since I sat down and watched any substantial amount, like years since I've seen any substantial amount of episode one. So watching episode one and episode two, and episode three is the one that's by far my favorite of those three. I actually think it's a pretty solid movie on its yeah. own, and that the worst sins of that movie are ones that it couldn't escape because they were built by episode one and two itself. Sure. Um, so looking at the arc of that trilogy, I've come to appreciate that the big picture outline view of those movies is actually very strong. It's a credit mm -hmm. to George Lucas. Um, that if you look at just the big picture beats of the idea of this quietly Senator Palpatine is truly the Sith Lord who is manipulating all this stuff, a rise of the Sith for the first time in a thousand years, and all of the machinations and how incredibly intelligent he must have been to have these plans and built-in redundancies and how powerful he was to be able to hide all of this and manipulate the chessboard without anyone seeing. And even the little pieces of how these things went on, from a plot perspective, a lot of it is fairly strong. It's mm -hmm. the dialogue and acting that is a big right. problem. So from the perspective of George Lucas writing these on his own, because he had someone with him, especially for episodes uh, five and six, Lawrence Kasdan, who's a tremendous screenwriter, um, mm -hmm. to curb his worst impulses, and not just curb his worst impulses, but contribute his own strong content of, in and of its own. There's a great synergy, even though they had different directors for all three of the original trilogy and all of that. The dialogue while at times was a little bit corny and cheesy, mostly it's quite strong, especially for taking the time that it was. Whereas the dialogue really suffers in, in the prequel trilogy, even though I think the big picture beats are really quite strong. Um, yeah. So I, I just like credit where it's due. And like, let's just yeah. look at things like, honestly, like as much as they're largely become a travesty, like all of the scenes between Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman outside of the first time where they meet where it, admittedly that's super cringy and awkward in episode two i'm talking about um it's it actually plays for a solid laugh like intentionally the problem is is i laugh at it and it's those laughs are unintentional going forward and some of it is so very bad i hate right. sand i slaughtered them like animals like i'm laughing when he's talking about having become a mass murderer. it gets everywhere yeah all of that stuff is bad sure. um but there's still some really great lines in there too, but the the sum of its parts is much less than each of the parts individually, right? Um, it's no. just not, the dialogue is really bad. But the plotting is fine. So if that's the type of thing that J.J. Abrams, sorry, this is a long detour to get to this point. No, all fine. of that was a long way of J.J. Abrams trying to find out, hey, where would you go with this based on what we have, based on what you worked on, or specific character motivation stuff, especially as we get Force Ghost Luke and finishing off Leia's story um, or how we're going to reincorporate Emperor Palpatine and all this thing. What are we going to do that won't betray those things and what we've set up for now 10, this is the 11th movie that we're doing, nine titled episodes of the saga. I'm totally fine with that because those are the type of things that Lucas' strong point was. And I was reading something today actually 
there's a snippet from I don't even see what the book was because I saw it embedded as a snapshot of a, a page that someone was reading some book about the making of the original Star Wars trilogy, mm-hmm. and it was showing a roundtable discussion between George Lucas, Lawrence Kasdan, one of the other writers or producers, and someone else who was I don't know if he was interviewing them. I think it was someone who was interviewing him. Okay, and they were talking about the moment at the end of Episode Five when Darth Vader cuts off Luke's hand. Luke's hand falls and the lightsaber falls. He says he's lost his laser sword, and he says yes. He goes, he goes. Is it weird that I asked? He goes, no, no, no. George Lucas says no. That's fine. That's a question that people are going to have, and he's going to come back in the next movie and he'll have a new sword. But I kind of made the choice that it, I, we don't need to have a whole scene about how he got a new sword and how he makes sword. Uh, one line implicitly should do it where you've constructed a new lightsaber, right? Right. That should mm-hmm. answer the question. And Lawrence Kasdan says, yeah, that all makes sense internally. And a way that will signify that it's a different one is, how about we use a different color? Oh, that's a great point. Having that sort of influence on Lucas a lot. Yeah. And then it comes back full circle where he says something along the lines of, it's important that we do find some way to show how he has the sword when it gets to the point with Jabba. And we're going to have R2-D2. And like someone else pitched the idea of R2-D2 being the one to give it back to him. That he goes in blind and he gets it back. And like mm-hmm. having that collaborative effect was very important to Lucas where he can do the big picture, the important stuff, the story, but he needs someone to handle the nitty gritty details. That's okay. That's everything though. You can't do, you can't do something this big on your own. And that's, so if you, if you're JJ Abrams and you have access to the man who made this and you have access to pick his brain and you don't do it, you're failing. Yes. And, like, I, I, he's not bigger than this, and he doesn't presume to be bigger than this. And that's, that's why he's so good. Yep. And also, he, they brought on he's another a writer, too. He's, he's co-writing yeah. with Chris Terrio, uh, I, better, for better or worse. There is another person for him to bounce ideas off of. It's, on top of honestly, just it's for the, better. On top of even the Lucasfilm story group, on a, in and of itself, having someone in the room to without say, hey, without doing, without doing it. Yeah, with the t- exactly. If you're doing it by yourself, you're doing it in the vacuum. If you're doing it in the vacuum, you're not considering the audience. You're not considering the fan base. You need and you need, but you also need you. You need someone that's also not going to be a yes man. Yeah. And so I think at this point, Lucas doesn't have a stake as much in the outcome, except for any passion that he still has behind it. So, which I'm sure he still has he, because he keeps showing up. Sure. He showed up for. At the site of them shooting the Mandalorian, sure. He, but he if still he wants to be involved he, to some small degree, which to, to is some good. degree, but he doesn't actually. He doesn't have any sort of like like I, he made his money, right? He yeah. There's no longer the a financial thing to it, yeah. And that's gonna make that's that's great. That's a he's a great person for for him to like to leverage his opinions and and get his and like you know touch a base on it and being like, does this feel right? Like is this the place? Where, and, and and honestly. I'm not saying that he he doesn't necessarily also have to take his advice, right? It's just to, it's just that it's there. It's just that he can consume some of this outside information, uh, especially from the creator. That's gonna that's going to translate to what we get in December. It's gonna be uh, I'm very excited. Speaking of December, because we need to move on from Star Wars. Uh, the and speaking of December, Star Wars, Disney, MCU. We always talk about the MCU. I've got a quick little tweet here that I want to read to you, that just bothered the hell out of me. 
Uh, this is from <laughs> MCU Direct that said, The Fantastic Four team needs a definitive movie from Marvel Studios at some point in the MCU's future, says Endgame co-director Joe Russo. Needs? So, I don't... First off, it doesn't need... Let's like Clearly, it doesn't need... I'm just curious where you stand on... How would you feel about those characters being reintroduced for the third time? Because... They did it with Spider-Man and it worked. I don't. I don't. I, it it would be risky to try again. Um. Well, I would say my first thing, if you hadn't said it, would have been to reference Spider-Man coming back in for a third time. Um. But <clears throat> the thing is, I actually agree with that. Um. But I would stress at some point. At they some don't need, point, yeah. they don't need. It doesn't <laughs> okay, have to be enough. in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. But sometime right. in the next five years. They should be reintegrated. Maybe, yeah, they maybe, absolutely maybe a little phase should. Six, a little phase six, maybe. But the point phase is, five, they, phase, not phase four. <laughs> don't give me that shit in phase four. It's I don't too have a soon. problem with them doing it at the end of phase four, or maybe to open up phase five. But the the fact is, there with the retirement of the majority of our leadership from phase one, with no more Iron Man, with no more Captain America. A question over whether Thor is going to be around. A question over whether Hulk is going to be around. Hulk obviously can't carry his own movie on, but if they want to continue to use him as a supporting role, that's fine. They found ways to do that and become effective later in his character's life. It you, there's a power vacuum now, um, yeah. and I don't. I actually don't know whether Captain Marvel or Black Panther can fill that role, though they've been positioned to be very important. And as part of the upper hierarchy of of the whole group, those two can be very effective. Um, but I don't buy Captain Marvel as a leader of that sort of group. That the, the muscle of that group, sure, ah. um, as an important, crucial player. But she's been of relatively few words so far. She's kind of, to a certain extent, we discussed in our episode of Captain Marvel, somewhat of a blank slate so far. Um, which is fine. So, well, um, hang on, that's 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 great that you say that because this actually uh, this ties wonderfully into the other nugget that i have which is on this exact topic which is amc theaters tweeted out who will lead us into the next era of avengers uh and i've responded to that one it's spider-man uh but so uh it's <laughs> but it's he's, just, still, just, he's still too young to be he he can be the face of the franchise but he won't that, necessarily be the leader i think he might be to some degree because he's too young I, I, exactly though and not I powerful think, um no but he's got the heart and he's the he has the most heart of any character in this series and I think sure. that there's, without the these these leaders like we had before, even though they butted heads a lot, I think there's going to need to be someone that like fosters the relationships. And I think his heart is going to go a long way with that. And he's going to be growing up through this. And, and since they've, it is Disney, it's a Disney property now. I think letting the kid lead and letting him make his mistakes but also bringing people together i think that's going to that makes it makes the character a strong role model i think it's a good choice i'm not saying he can't ascend to that role somewhere in the future but the point is right now he is what you're describing as a glue guy to to turn it into a, a sports metaphor he's a glue guy he's the one who brings it all together he's the connective tissue between all of these things but he's not positioned to be an actual leader he's not qualified to be an actual leader yet in the future could be um and Black Panther has the qualifications of leadership, but again, from a characterization standpoint, has been very quiet character so far. That could change with his next movie. Um, Doctor Strange has always been that sort of guy. 
and has at times shouldered that burden now, um, the burden of responsibility, if not the of actual leadership. But he would be the most immediate person positioned to be the quote-unquote leader of the team. Mm. Um, but eventually, you need the Fantastic Four. They are typically amongst the center of those sorts of plays. That, from my limited knowledge of of the the comics, you need them for ultimate leadership. And with the way they're heading with the Eternals and with Guardians continuing to great, take greater prominence and all that sort of stuff, um, the Fantastic Four always have a connection to the cosmic and the interstellar of all of this. So I sure. think that they ultimately will need to be integrated sometime in the next, I'll call it five years. Even if, you're, and, even if you're saying be, somewhere between year three and five, but if they break, if like if things fall apart to some degree, right? Like if, if they need someone to tie it back up together, a strong team could do that. And uh, having four folks that are already working well together that are able to work well with others, like that could be a cool way to, to tie it up. But that actually, that might actually like point in the direction of my decision that, that my, my idea that it's Spider-Man too, because I think that he had, I think that he would try if nobody else is doing it. And I think that he would do his best and he probably wouldn't do great but he would do. He would be the one doing it. And that's oh, I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would rise to the occasion to the best of his ability. I just don't for think sure. that his ability is best suited to that role. Which would make for a great story. It could a great Spider-Man story specifically, but they could tie that in as the overarching theme of a phase of this universe. Well, the other thing is, it's going to depend a lot on where the direction of the villainy that they will face sure. in whatever that could future. Be interesting. Because whomever becomes the main villain could dictate who becomes who rises to be his equal as the um, as the leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Thanos positioned himself in such a way that Tony Stark had to be the biggest leader, or when it wasn't him, it was between him and Captain America. Those two guys had the qualifications for leadership, literally, and from a perspective of their experiences with trying to protect the U.S. and then Earth in general with the whole Ultron initiative, those two rose up to take that. Whereas someone like Thor really should have been, but it just wasn't what he was qualified to do. Right. Yeah, that that, that is interesting. Thor was was out of his realm. Yes. <laughs> which makes it which made it difficult for him. Uh, Iron Man. While he started to, he never fully played well with others, and. Captain America is too was always too right. He was too right. <laughs> he was always right, and that just sometimes like that wouldn't work for a team <laughs> like, because he was always like on the side of justice, and it just didn't it didn't jive with everyone. Which is funny because like theoretically he's best posed to be like the leader, the one that's going to make the good decisions, but it does backfire. The thing is, if you wanted times. to take, if you wanted to take based on the template we had for these movies, where Tony was the big picture thinker, Captain America was the heart and soul guy who picked up the slack when he needed to, and Thor slash Hulk was the muscle, you have that template built off the current roster of Doctor Strange would be the Tony Stark role, and Spider-Man would be the Captain America role, and Captain Marvel would be the Thor Hulk role. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could be interesting. We'll see see where it goes. Uh, Doctor Strange... Not the best leader, best, but he's great to shoulder, like you said, like he shoulders the burden of everything. Um, but he, I mean, he literally well. is. He's decided as his role as the Sorcerer Supreme. He 
is supposed to guard time and space. Um, right. And, <laughs> right. And He's got a lot to do. He's got things going on. He needs to delegate. <laughs> from, from, from what I know of the character from the comics, which I, when that movie was coming out, I did a little bit of a dive to find out what he was. From the best that I can tell, he was an absolutely essential, crucial, central part of the formation and execution of the Avengers initiatives in the past, going back to the 60s when the character was introduced. And thus concludes our Marvel ramblings for this week's episode. <laughs> uh, moving on, one quick thing. This is this is just a little nugget. This is a little a little taste, and I just want to hear what your thoughts are. It doesn't matter whether or not the story is true. Um, oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll get into whether or not I want it to be. But I want to hear. I read a thing <laughs> that about the Wachowskis working on a fourth Matrix movie, and it's it's multiple times been. It, debunked and brought back up it's a very weird stupid thing i completely forgot you texted me about that the other day i didn't get a chance to look into it regardless of the content regardless of the questions that may be hinting towards it or like not because it's the internet how do you feel about a fourth matrix movie i think that whatever some of the flaws of two and three were overall the self-contained arc the narrative and character arc of the trilogy stands alone and doesn't need to be expounded upon any further. And that it would struggle I'm to find... I'm 100% a, with you. I would think you would struggle to find a compelling way to tell that story. Now, if anyone was going to find a compelling way, it would be the creators. Sure. They're not far enough removed for it to be an issue. And the two of them still have the creative spark, um, as best I can tell. Uh, as I mean, Cloud Atlas came out in 2012, 2013, and its breathtaking vision. <laughs> and uh, I really enjoyed, despite some of its lowering of the bar from a narrative perspective, its character study and its thematic and visual stuff that they did with Sense8 uh, on Netflix was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we see a cash cow in the Matrix that we need to revive, the way that you could do it in an interesting way is to find a way towards the beginning or before or in internal to the trilogy. There was a story that you could tell elsewhere. Not hinging on Neo, the way that like Star Wars is doing the Star Wars stories. Sure. If you could find a way to do something prequel like that leading up to all of that, there could be something interesting in that realm, but creating a true sequel to the trilogy just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Because I feel I, like you're yeah, going to be retreading the same ground. It's one of those things where I, I, I'm not normally one to be like, oh, I, I don't want... Oh, oh, another one's coming out? Ugh. I don't, I don't generally roll my eyes at that. Now, I know that twice this episode already, I've been on the opposing side of that, <laughs> where I don't really want another Fantastic Four, but that's just because I never really cared for them that much, and I don't... It, whatever that's that regardless but this this is one of those things where I, i'm i'm with you i don't and, and sure if they have an idea maybe they had unfinished business maybe they maybe they had like a, a hint of an idea that they they could have always explored but didn't and like you said if it's the original creators that's the best bet of it being something worthwhile that being said i i know people have their issues with two and three i like the series i'm I'm not gonna pretend that I don't. I I, I, I love the series. The series, and I, it, you are correct, and it, it's a, it's a whole story though. It's, it started and it ended, 
and hinting at more can cheapen that and you can actually ruin you can ruin it yes. by adding on to it because if you uh, the terminator terminator ruined terminator by adding a third movie and fourth and 17th <laughs> uh and I'm glad that they're doing this third thing where they, where I actually kind of like, okay, let's scrap this. Because you can always just say, like, they can come out with a statement and be like, everything that happened after two, never mind. Like, you could say that, but it doesn't mean anything. But if you go and you make another movie to branch the timeline and be like, no, it's one, two, and this movie, like, that other stuff really is garbage, they could they could fix it. Like, I, I don't want them to get into that situation. Yeah, I would just... I- Based on the career that the Wachowskis have had, I think they've made a shit ton of money. So I don't mm. think they have to be, like, coerced into doing this. If the two of them went to the studio and said, Hey, we've been having this long gestating idea. We've always wanted to come and revisit it. We would like to do it. Does that sound good to you guys? Then I'm fully on board with it. Sure. But if this is someone dragging them, kicking and screaming back to do it, then there's no way it'll be good. Now, I would assume that it's more along the lines of, like, have you ever thought about doing more in that world? And they probably said, sure. Like, we ha- we've had ideas. that, And that could easily lead to a rabbit hole of rumors on the internet, right? Like, it... it yeah. But at the same... It's like, okay, yeah, obviously, like, if it's a... I can... Can you imagine having created that? Like, if you if you hate that stuff, if you hate those movies, like, if you've watched them... And you watched all three of them. You were clearly invested to some degree. And then at that point, if you hated them, it's probably because you didn't do it. You know? <laughs> and you were just jealous. <laughs> it, it was one of the seminal works of sci-fi of a generation. Mm-hmm. Um, if not the just single defining um, you know, works. And not just for sci-fi itself, but from filmmaking standpoint, in the same way that George Lucas defined an entire era of movie making through his sci-fi saga they too did the same thing in the year 1999 whenever the first one came out right um they defined a genre they revolutionized filmmaking itself with a lot of things they did how many people copied bullet time going forward um and even above and beyond all that it stands alone and it stands the test of time i mean listen some of the cell phone, like, plugged in, like, hardline phone stuff isn't going to live up. But that's a relatively small quibble. The movie holds up. My God, it's just um, a reboot, and it's cell phones. Yeah, no, like, if it's... If they're <laughs> and they're reboot- in and out in no time. <laughs> I saw rumors a year or two ago that there was some rumblings that they were going to reboot it. And it may not even be the Wachowskis involved, or that they might just no. be producers. The dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, that would and be I, Considering I haven't seen anything concrete about this thing that you're mentioning... Uh, I'm plugged in enough to enough sources where if there was any real fire behind that sort of right. smoke, I think I would have heard that there was legitimate rumblings to that. Um, but who knows? Tomorrow morning, I could see that they announced episode four of The Matrix. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, it just doesn't well, seem likely I, to me. Like they well, shouldn't. They shouldn't unbury this. You know. What yeah. I mean? When I read it, I was like, it was worded in a way that I was like, oh, this has clickbait. That's also why I don't have any more information on it. But I was I always love that that uh, that gif uh, from Mad Max. That's bait. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's so like I, I I just assumed that it wasn't like anything realistic, but it immediately sparked my interest in a conversation because I, I would I was very much curious. Uh, oh, like big surprise! You're on the same fucking page as me. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> like seeing them go into that just didn't really seem like the right the right move. But uh, it does make me want to rewatch those movies like immediately. Um, and man, I so. I know that brick and mortar stores are going by the wayside. That being said, I love I there's I go into Best Buy probably two to four times a month. Just to walk around. I don't know what it is. I don't even buy anything most of the time. I just go. Like and I like I have I have a massage once a month and it's across the street from the Best Buy and that's I go there afterwards just because I just enjoy walking around. Uh I I also buy, as you know, I buy a lot of movies. I generally buy my movies in person. I, I, I'm personally trying to keep them open. So <laughs> that's, how, that's how I'll go there and I'll buy a movie. Granted, they probably don't make a, a ton on that. Um, but I, I get I get most of my actual physical discs from there. And, man, I, I, the last month or so, they, that friggin' 4K Matrix trilogy has just been staring me in the eye. And it's like, this is another one of those things. It's like, how many times... Seriously, how many times can I own this? <laughs> and and I think maybe another time. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm probably gonna get it. Like I've and I also do this dumb thing, real dumb, where when a new when the, the higher definition version of the thing that I absolutely love, there are certain movies that I will always rebuy. The Dark Knight is is one of them. It feels like your certain number is a pretty large number, though. It's yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> The Dark Knight is one of them. Well, some some of them are just accidentals. Like just they just happen. Uh, but The Dark Knight is one of those movies where like if a new definition comes out, I will buy it just because it's my it is my all time favorite movie. Sixteen K, here we yeah, go. Yeah, when sixteen K <laughs> comes around, you better believe that the first movie I'm gonna get. No, uh, so it'll it I I always buy that. But then I do this thing where I hold on to. It. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna watch this in the perfect setting and situation, right? And then uh, that time never comes because I don't make that time. And then it just sits there. And then the next, then 4K comes out. I'm like, son of a bitch. So then I got all of them in 4K. And <laughs> I'm, doing this, I, I, I'm doing the same thing. I really want to watch it, but I'm not watching it. What is wrong with me? <laughs> well, the thing is, I go through some of that too because we, I, my collection is not nearly as exhaustive as yours is. And Sure. We only have a couple of things that are repeats of where it's like we got like widescreen or full screen DVD in like 2002 and then mm-hmm. bought a Blu-ray. Like like there's a couple of things that that's sure. the truth of. And I mean, I'm literally saying like six. Um, and there's a couple of things that was like, oh, we rebought it eventually as a Blu-ray because we had it as like a VHS. Um, but I don't sit down and watch a DVD or Blu-ray very often because typically... The things that I really love, a lot of them, I there's some way that it, like it'll be on a Netflix or it'll show up on TNT or whatever. Like I still have Direct TV, so like I watch TV on a thing. So like I've yeah. seen bits of The Matrix at least once a year because it's on TV eventually. Sure. Lord of the Rings is on TNT at least two or three times a year. I catch parts of it. The, TNT bought the or Turner bought the exclusive rights to broadcast the Star Wars movies. So Star Wars Day came around and they played the entire series from episode one through through episode seven, 
Probably seven, yeah. So I don't think eight's been on broadcast yet. They played all of it across that Saturday and Sunday. I caught bits of each one during the course of that weekend. You remember that it was a big deal? For the first time on broadcast television. <laughs> like it was, I'll be I honest. At that point, I was a movie collector, so I was just like, all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. Those type of things are still kind of cool to me. Like When when I see it a commercial on, on TNT saying, first ever broadcast of The Last Jedi. It's, I'm it's really dumb. It. Yeah, I know. I'm 100% with you. I, I I think it was... there's I, With with commercials! <laughs> I could be wrong. It could be... I think it's a John Mulaney thing. It could be somebody else, and I apologize if it's not John Mulaney, but somebody did, in a stand-up was talking about this exact thing. He's like, where in a throwaway joke, was like, she doesn't get me all the time. She doesn't get that I'm watching a movie on TV that I already own. <laughs> like, and it's it is I I was hysterical because like yeah like it's just a I watched forty five minutes of The Departed the other day on TV just because it's on and because I love yeah. that goddamn movie like I don't care I, you know what the crazy thing is I don't even think I own that movie I love that movie it's in my top three favorite movies sure but, but I, I know it. it's always gonna be on AMC eventually crazy. so I'll watch it crazy talk that's craziness um, to me we should probably move on from this moving though. on what do you got um. Okay, do you want to tackle Game of Thrones impressions at all? Sure. Because we've been doing it weekly on the Spin Tune Sports Show, but yeah. all of our audience doesn't listen to that. We hope you do, but we get we that did, you maybe we didn't get We didn't get a ton, you and me, talking about it. Um, I don't know, do, do you want to just avoid spoilers altogether? Um. Well, by the time, we're still going to release this on Thursday Friday, or Friday, right? Friday, so, yeah. So, um, no, by then, people should have hopefully caught up. The finale will be two days after that. Um, you're, guys, you're here for the Thrones thing. We're doing the Thrones thing. What, okay, what, okay. We've, what we've done, what we've seen from this season so far, the, we're including the penultimate episode now. Yep, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, I liked the last episode that aired. I liked it better than the one that came before it. Um, okay. Uh, that's fine. I think it's in the same, it's on the same-ish level. Uh, no, it's, it is better. It's better. Uh, it's significantly better than the Battle of Winterfell. Here's the thing. I really, uh, I feel like they cheapened uh, that threat of the Night King. I just think it, it, it was over so quick. It was so fast. It almost didn't have... Like, yeah, a lot of people died that didn't matter so much. Like, a lot of off-screen armor. Well, we, like, yeah, big numbers. We, what, we did a lot of math. That's what, what I, happened in that episode. What I had said at that point, and I don't remember if I said it to you specifically, but I said it to a couple of people, is, guys, there was still three more episodes. More people are going to die. And I was right. More people have died, mm -hmm. uh, including quite important ones. Mm -hmm. And but I'm guessing that, that a few more of them are going to die on Sunday, too. It's almost like they, but there's there's always been like there's been the two crazy thi like the two main things that are happening right. There's been the battle for the throne with the looming threat of the White Walkers and the Night King, and to see all that just end so abruptly, without any, re in my opinion, unless there's there was not a, a real impact on the story. Yeah, it they kind of just were like. Okay, well, now that we're here and we need to finish it up, the other thing's more interesting, and we don't really know how to end this. That's what it felt like to me. It's this. It's been suffering since, obviously, since the the books have not been finished. Yep. And that probably has a lot to do with 
he doesn't he didn't finish the book yet because I I don't know what his writing process is, but I imagine that he's not very good at translating that information. The problem is I think he got to the point where it got too big. That's fair. To do anymore, and I can understand because this is the most I mean, from the perspective of scope, this blows anything I'm aware of out of the water. It blows Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, whatever, on the written from the written page, the scope of where the Song mm-hmm. of Ice and Fire is going um, is by far the biggest scope I've ever seen. Yeah, and that's and that's totally fair, and it is a huge undertaking. And yeah, with the number of fans that have jumped on board, like I'm gonna be, I I'm very open about this. I didn't read the books. I I've, I actually tried, and it didn't really grasp. I didn't get it. I, I I couldn't get into it. It wasn't for me. Really? Um, I will probably try again now that I've been more into reading. The uh, first th- the first three books are incredible. I I like I said I will give it. You know what? I'll give it another go, and we'll talk about it at that point. But that being said, I I loved the show. I still do enjoy the show. I think the last episode was very good. It's just, for, honestly, that that battle for Winterfell really, it really just kind of took the wind out of my sail. See, the, the thing is, as much as I had problems with that episode, it actually wasn't offensive as offensive to me as last week's episode was. Um, the one after the Battle of Winterfell, I don't remember the title because they're not telling you the title till after you've seen the episode, which is <laughs> a struggle to me. <laughs> like I get why they've been hiding it, but like by the time I sit down to watch the episode, I want to know what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not finding it out until like after it's over, so I'm not retaining the information. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for I thought that the, the episode with the Battle of Winterfell was called the Battle of Winterfell. Uh, like six days later, I found out it was called the Long Night. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, no, the Battle of Winterfell, as much as it had its problems, a lot of them felt like minor gripes to me, because I kind of felt like this is where it was going, I was, or maybe fearing this is where it was going, so I felt a certain level of preparation for it, um, and it's undoubtedly suffered since they left the, what, what's already been written by Martin, but the biggest issue really is... Martin's lack of involvement on the show. He always was a hands-on executive producer through the first four or five seasons and was a co-writer and specifically would write one whole episode every season. Mm. Typically picking one of the most important ones. Um, He hasn't been involved at all since, I think, season five was the last time. And even then he was starting to... I think he was starting to back away slightly where he was... I don't think he wrote an episode. I think he was just there for, like, the producing aspect of it. Where it's like, hey, George, what do you think about this? And season mm-hmm. five was the first season where the issues really started to crop up. And I don't think he's had any even hands-off, like... There might have been, like, a call made or whatever. But, like, he's, a, like, from the best I can tell, has not been involved in any way, shape, or form in, episode, in season six, seven, and eight. So I think not having his, like, guiding hand on the tillers is caused there being an issue like that they're flailing in the dark and yeah. for whatever reasons i think they just want to get it done with and i'm seeing a lot of people are like oh like star wars is going to suffer for this that bending off and going no i think that they bit off more than they could chew and like they took the training wheels off with martin leaving and they crashed the bike like you know what i mean like i think and i think they realize they're crashing it and they're just trying to get off the bike at this point you know what sure. i mean like i think that, they that, just that's 
that makes a lot of sense. It does make me wonder: is that like I don't? It doesn't. Like, really I don't think they're having fun. Make anymore. a ton of sense to me that the that the season like why is the season six episodes? Why? Uh, so when they announced it was going to be thirteen episodes across the last two seasons, I assumed that HBO said, "Hey, we're giving you X amount of dollars. It's a huge amount of dollars. We might be able to squeeze a few more extra if you need." You tell us how many episodes you need you can make with that amount of money, and that'll be what it is. It doesn't sound like that's the case now. Like based yeah. on what I've been hearing in the past two weeks, it sounds like Benioff and Weiss chose this. So I wonder if they're just tired of the wild ride and they just want to get off. If I'm I'm gonna be honest with you, if you listen to those interviews afterwards, they just they do not seem interested the way that they used to be. I don't think they're having fun anymore. I think they want to. I, I think it's just got. In the same way that Martin is struggling with it getting too big, I think it got too big for them. And I think that, that, that there's been a really big power vacuum with Martin no longer involved. I think that... And there's another pet theory I was working on the last couple of days. It really solidified with me watching the end of Cersei's arc. I wonder mm. if some of the actors and actresses were really fighting them. Like, they wanted to get out of it. You know what I mean? Because she didn't do fucking anything this season. Her whole well, last episode could have been shot in one day. She didn't do anything, but I did think her acting was tremendous. No, I'm not saying she mailed in the performance. What I'm saying is I wonder if... And I don't think it's just her, but she's just the most important of the people that I've noticed this issue with. I wonder if her and some of the other actors and actresses just decided, like, hey, I'm signed on contractually that I have to work a minimum of, let's call it 15 days. I'll be there for 15 days. Everybody but Jamie seems tired. Yeah, a lot of it. Um, But the thing is, like... Like, Varys didn't speak for three episodes. Like, he was on screen yeah. occasionally, but didn't yeah. say a word until the fourth episode. Right. Like, um, Cersei, her entire final episode, all of it was just her looking out of the balcony until the very end. Mm-hmm. Like, I, she could have honestly shot that episode mm-hmm. in one day. Just her work could have been one day's shooting. Yeah. And she wasn't in the last two episodes. Very strange. It, it's been It's been weird. Um, that being said, seeing the turn, I understand what they were trying to do. They were trying to, they were trying to make it like abrupt, make you be like, oh my God, oh my God. But to this point, but what they did, unfortunately, what they did though, for, at least for me, they made me hate her for the last couple episodes. Yeah, I know. But if they, if they, if they put me on the fence for the last few episodes and then did this, I think it would have had a... It would have been a, a much bigger impact, but I already hated her at this point, and I knew she was no good. Well, the problem is this destination has been teased even since the first season, yeah. um, and I'm totally fine with them getting there. But the problem is, as with all the things they've been doing for the last couple of years, they fumbled the execution. It um, it's a crying shame because it, it's going to. It is unfortunately that again they can they've done some really great things in the past. They may do something ridiculous that rectifies a lot of this in the final episode. I'm not going to put that past them. They might be playing some of this close to the chest where that's the... Maybe... And we might find that the flaws that we've been seeing, the things that we've been unhappy with, will all be paid off by some incredible ending. That it being definitely said, won't. It definitely won't all be paid off. I'm but not, I, can, well, I, I can follow your train of thought, though. Yes. It, it, it could be. I personally don't think it will be. And the unfortunate thing to that is if it's not... It does. I, we were talking about this just before with the Matrix. You can ruin what came before by how you end it. Sure, uh, and they are actually uh, not yeah. ruining, but but lessening. Yeah. Um. 
But the one thing I'll say is actually to call back to a different thing we discussed in this episode. What I've been trying to do now since the the cracks are really showing up is take each episode and look at it on the merits of just the episode. So from that perspective, if I looked at this through the lens of, that I was mentioning with Revenge of the Sith, where episode one and two are done. Mm-hmm. Those, we can't change the past. That's set in concrete. How do we build on that from the future? This episode stands up better than the week before because taking those things as gospel, we mm-hmm. can't fix what happened before this. They did the best they could with this episode. So that's why I thought it was a stronger... And also on top of that, visually, this was a beautiful episode. They did an incredible job with shooting a lot of this. Like, the cinematography was incredible. And even some of the pairing musically. But there's some gorgeous, horrifying shots. There's some really great lighting. (laughs) Like, it's not a thing that I would normally point out. Well, after watching the Battle of Winterfell, the lighting becomes more and more (laughs) important. That's kind Um, of But... Yeah, my biggest issue with the Danny thing is that I figured that this is where they were heading. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. That's the destination they reached. But there was a real flaw in how they chose to execute it. And the, the I've read some versions of this where it was more detailed and that's all great. Like Deadspin did one. It was a really good in-depth version of it. But it was some. It was about 12 hours after I had mentioned it. It was right when we were done watching it i said it to dominic my brother dominic um and then the next day so i wrote up this whole thing but basically my issue was if you found some way to fuse the end of episode four and the beginning of episode five such that ragel was still alive and dies by euron's crossbow big crossbow at the outset of the siege of king's landing and that's what is the final straw and causes her to snap and she goes off and does her whole thing Mm-hmm. totally on board i'm totally on board with what's going on well but having funny. having all of that happen sit and wait and, and even i can even buy a little bit the idea of the isolation after watching john's friends celebrate with him where she's isolated and is like oh shit i have no friends right um and then the, the next episode she loses ragel she loses Missande, she's forced to kill varus She's physically isolated herself. She's not thinking her best because she's not eating or drinking anything. Mm-hmm. As these series of events unfold to get to the point where she just finally snaps, I can even get on board with all that. But even in that, the execution is poor where she's sitting on the back of the thing listening to the bells for 90 seconds before she, she goes off. You know what I mean? If we had gotten a moment there where she had committed to her action of fuck this and blowing everything up, Mm-hmm. And then the bells ring at the last second, and she's just like, it's too late for that. I could even 90% get on board with that. But yeah. sitting and contemplating it for an extended period of time, and then just deciding to go, eh. Yeah, I think that, that actually, that probably has a lot to do with it, is is you have to you have to fill in the inner monologue that's happening at that yes. point. Which, I, as I, when I think more about it, I actually, I'm less frustrated with that portion of it. Because the way that I saw it, which I'm going to go with because it's the only way that makes me okay with how it went down, was that after all of this, after the ridiculous journey that she's gone on for this entire time, she won, but she was completely unfulfilled by it. Yes. And that being like, and her her realizing it, coming to grips with it, 
and knowing the power that she has, seeing her become her father, very cool. I think that's a cool concept. Uh, again, the, prob- it, the, problem the is- execution is clumsy to some degree. And yeah, I think it's because it, it, it that is me, me filling as- it in to justify it. The, the problem is it, it strikes me as, like, the bully kid taking his ball and going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> 100%. Except by taking his ball, you mean dragon, and home, you mean decimating the entire country. <laughs> yeah, by, by taking his ball and going home, I mean... Taking genocide. the lives of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Full-blown genocide oh, is what I, I wonder if anybody's laughed at the word genocide before. Uh, not often. Um, <laughs> guys, Jesus. come join us on Flicks in a City. Laugh at genocide. Fictional genocide, it's okay. And that was the last episode they ever recorded. Flicks in a Six, a memoir. <laughs> can, we, can we do the... Where, where's the AMC in memoriam music? <laughs> where, they do a Where Are They Now? It's amazing how one line can ruin your entire enterprise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was seven days in hell. Yes! <laughs> I just listened to the Will Forte um, episode of Armchair Expert. Excellent, excellent. And they didn't even That's talk about one. Seven Days in Hell, but just thinking about him, his delivery of that is perfect. It yeah. was Seven Days in it Hell. It was Seven Days in Hell. You should call this. You should call that. This. Um, okay, that was... Was that enough Thrones, or is there anything else you want to discuss? I, um... We, the thing is, we only scratched the surface, but we could probably do an entire episode on Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Let's the the only no. Let's just leave it there. Let's leave okay. it there. Um, I think we'll probably we, we we'll might, probably do a we might do a bonus wrap episode up next week, right? Yeah, let's do a bonus episode or or like an extended episode next week where Ooh. we where we finish where we review Game of Thrones as a whole, maybe. So something like, like no that. news and nuggets unless something earth breaking happens or like or yeah, happens. and we'll focus. It's just on gonna that. be Thrones and movie. Thrones and movie. Let's do that. Let's do okay. that. Uh, Do cool. you have anything else? I have no more. No. Because I have one relatively quick one, and then Would one that might take a few more minutes. Give us the um, quick one. So let's go with the quick one. I will read you a headline. George Clooney told Ben Affleck not to play Batman. Okay. <laughs> well, the only reason that this really caught my eye was because it reminded me, especially with us just having done Batman, 89 Batman last week, Mm-hmm. It reminded me of the ominous warning that Jack Nicholson had given to Heath Ledger, where like it's going to ruin your life, and it ultimately. Uh, so he was like, he was like, "This is going to ruin your life." And the other one was like, "This is going to ruin your career." Yeah, that was what. That's the only reason I really bothered to bring this to my mind was just kind of the mirror of that mm-hmm. I found interesting. Ah, the whole Batman Joker mirroring thing. This yes, is real. It, it's so even, meta. <laughs> even, yeah, right. Like even when you pull yourself out of the source material, it's still yeah, funny. yeah, for um, sure. So I will just. Uh, this was a an interview with the Hollywood Hollywood reporters. The Holiday Channel. Reporter. The Hollywood reporters on this week's Channel. sports institutions. <laughs> industries. 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 <laughs> um, podcast. When asked if Clooney talked to Affleck about potentially playing Batman in Dawn of Justice while working together on Argo, Clooney said, "I actually did talk to him about it. I said, don't do it. It was only from my experience. He did great though." Uh, earlier he was asked about his involvement in Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin and how he's learned from its failures and how his status as a prominent actor meant he held more responsibility than he previously had. I was being held responsible for Batman and Robin, said Clooney. Arnold Schwarzenegger was paid something like $25 million for that, which is like 20 times more than I was paid for it. And you know, we never even worked together. (laughs) 
we worked together for one day, but I took all the heat. Now, fair deal. I was playing Batman and I wasn't good in it and it wasn't a good film. But what I learned from that failure was I had to rethink how I was working. Because now I wasn't just an actor getting a role. I was being held responsible for the film himself. For, for the film itself. Um, he had said it had a major influence on him. Ultimately changing his career. On this subject he said up until Batman and Robin. I was an actor only concerned with finding work. After the failure of that film. Creatively. I understood that I needed to take control of the films I made. Not just the role. My next three films were Out of Sight. Three Kings. And Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Hmm. I find that interesting, though, um, considering the problems with it that a former Batman told a future Batman, don't be Batman. Um, And and it's funny because they are the bizarre world, like mirror images of each other, right? Because Nicholson did a great job in what's largely enjoyed version of that movie and version of that character and told possibly the one true representation of Batman movies and the one true representation of that character told him to steer clear of it because of what it'll do to you. Yeah. And conversely, we have the worst Batman telling, or in the worst Batman movie, telling the future Batman, don't do it. It's going to ruin this whole thing for you. And both of them were prophetic and both of them that paid out. That's really, that's a bizarre, that's very bizarre that both those conversations happened. That's why, that's the only reason I brought, we've crushed the Affleck Batman movies more for the movie itself than the Affleck portrayal of them, but just that whole, like, that whole concept of the one of them telling the other not to do it, and the unfortunate impact it'll have on their future, um, one being much more serious than the other, obviously, um, but I just found that parallel to be interesting. Well, my unpopular opinion here will be, uh, George Clooney is not, well, Unpopular, but it's, it's, I don't know. George Clooney is not the problem with those movies. It's, it's the director. And that's the same situation with the current Batman situation. Sure. Um, that, yeah, it's unfortunate. Fine. They were brought down. But, but yeah, like if you have to point out, if you have to point at a figurehead of the film, it's going to, it's the title character. I would say that Clooney wasn't the problem, but he definitely wasn't part of the solution either. Sure. Uh, but yeah, yeah, okay, fair, I mean, fair like, enough. Like, like relatively speaking, Affleck did a better job in the role than. Oh yeah, under I again, I know you don't care for him. I know a lot of people didn't. I I did think that he. I liked him as Batman. No, I can objectively say he did a better job than Clooney. I still yeah. wouldn't rank him very highly. I still didn't love the performance, but he hit a lot of the beats fairly well. And and some of the issues with even that portrayal of the character came down to writing and direction. How did you? How do you stack him against Kilmer? I would probably take Kilmer ahead of him. Yeah. Hmm. But I also just like that movie better. That's fine. And also, I, mean, I think it's a that, fantastic movie. <laughs> that one that one also had the good sense to keep him more on the sidelines than it did Bat Ben Affleck. For whatever reason, the more time you spend with Batman slash Bruce Wayne, the worse it tends to be. That's true. That's true because the it's supposed to shrouded in mystery and being in the shadows. He's the least um, interesting part of his own story. It, it, yeah, it it is true, and I I I kind of dig it. I I love what he stands for. I love what he can do. I love that we don't get too much of him in the best stories of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably the only 
outlier to that theory is Batman Begins. Hmm. That I can think of. Because Dark Knight keeps him on the sideline in favor of Joker and everything else is going on. And it works perfectly. And The Dark Knight Rises probably spends too much time with Bruce Wayne and Batman. And that movie suffers some. Um, Batman Begins is a true blue origin story of him. Sticks with him a lot. And it works. Yeah, that's... that's... That That is the exception that proves the rule. Well, okay... That's more Bruce Wayne than Batman. Uh, but I view them, obviously, for obvious reasons, as two sides of the same coin. The point is, they spend so much time with him on screen, and it works. But I think it's the exception that proves the rule. I think that Keaton's fleeting appearances in the movie in 89 Batman, both as Batman and Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. are a credit to the movie. Not for that sure, he doesn't do a sure. good job, but that the character doesn't need any more than we got of him. Right. And just just so the Dark Knight. And conversely, we spent too much time with him in The Dark Knight Rises and that movie suffers some. Um, we, but and, again, we spent too much time with Batman. And The Dark Knight Rises. Batman slash Bruce Wayne. Batman. I think it's... I, again, I think it's the Batman aspect of it. I think you spend too much time with Batman and it ruins the appeal. It ruins that could be a two the because. Mystery. That could be it too, but I would say even Batman Forever, as flawed as that movie can be, there's also a lot of good in it. Um, and we spend very little time with Batman. We spend a decent bit of time with Val Kilmer, but not a ton. And so he was, overall, he's it's the a lower worst. Entry. He's the worst Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Maybe. He's, he, he might, I can't remember if he's a worse Bruce Wayne than George Clooney. I think he yeah, played that, true. I think he played that version of Bruce Wayne really good. It's a yeah. question of whether you like that version of Bruce that's, Wayne. That's fair. That's fair, but yeah, I, I, I yeah, it's it, you can't you can't put bats on the screen too much. The the psychological torment and struggle that Bruce Wayne is going through makes him an appealing character to watch. Yes, but when he's and when he's putting that aside as Batman, you need to take it in small doses, and that's when it's except for the the friggin' Arkham games which are just amazing like i <laughs> they're so good but it and makes sense why batman. it works better in a game because you <laughs> yeah. are batman right right i'm batman yeah um, anyway moving on so from good. that i have one final thing what do you uh, got veep series finale was this sunday after game of thrones uh, it was an excellent palate cleanser to game of thrones um i know you have not watched any of the show no not yet um i know that you have put it on your to-do list somewhere because you Mm -hmm. enjoyed um the death of stalin (laughs) oh my god so good um both from armando and yanucci um but uh yeah the veep finale was really good the final season though it suffered a bit from some of the brevity issues of the final seasons of game of thrones because they cut it to only seven episodes Mm. it felt just more like the occasional strain than an overarching destroyer of the thing um and it also played entirely the direct the opposite direction of the way game of thrones went where last season i didn't love veep and i was concerned about this season this season was really good and the Mm. finale actually i had mixed feelings about it was an extended episode it was 48 minutes by the actual quote-unquote runtime that was like officially on HBO, so realistically it was like maybe 42 minutes long or something like that. And the first 30 minutes, I was like, mm, are they going to be able to get it all done? And then they just do 
hard pause ju- time jump for like five minutes time jump again big time in the way that the end of Parks and Rec did but oh. only for like five or seven minutes wow okay and it's fucking flawless really that okay yes. see that makes me very excited that's a chilling review that makes me want to really go get to this this season did so much better job than last season of bringing everyone back together the including the far reaches of this extended cast which got very big at times with some characters that would pop up for two or three episodes be really important and you'd never really see them again and maybe you'd see them for five minutes at some point they got everyone got a chance over the last season and doubly so in the finale they all came back really for like one bit or one scene or one line even they crushed it like knocked down all the pins as they oh, had to man. go that's that's great that's awesome. Great, that's... great show. I loved it. The finale, I, I don't know if it stands up to a Breaking Bad finale, but it's in the second tier. Oh my god, tier. that finale. It, it, it stands I up can't. to like the second tier of, yeah, they did a really good job. It's not perfect, but it's also not like Seinfeld or Dexter. Alright, I'm going to have to try and get through that before Emmy season. I mean, you can really kind of crush that show pretty quickly it's seven seasons but the first six or ten episodes and it's a 26 minute comedy or whatever you okay know, like see that that's good we'll need we'll need something after uh when we finish the office that'll probably be the comedy that we go to yeah you can crush that one pretty quick okay i'll i'll make a point of we want to see that before the award season so that'll that'll be the big selling point yeah i'm sure it'll awesome. be nominated for a bunch of stuff oh yeah for sure sweet uh no more news and nuggets nope that is it Shall we dive in to our flick of the week? Galaxy Quest. My God, do I love this movie. Okay, so this is one of my... It's funny, I was talking to Kim earlier today. This is... I told her... I was, I was like, oh, we're you know we're recording tonight. We're going to do Galaxy Quest. And she hadn't seen it. I didn't realize she hadn't seen it. I was oh, like, really? Oh, no. I, was, I was like, it's one of my favorite movies. And she goes, and I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I was very disappointed. Uh, to be I, fair, you have a lot of... It's one of my favorite movies. And as do I. That's true. Uh, shocking revelation to find that not in my collection. Don't understand how or why. Really? I was almost certain that I had it at least on DVD, but I don't own it. And that's a mistake. So I'll it's have probably to probably VHS somewhere. Soon. Uh, let me read this IMDb synopsis for you for Galaxy Quest. The alumni cast of a space opera television series have to play their roles as the real thing when an alien race needs their help. However, they also have to defend both Earth and the alien race from a reptilian warlord. That's that's pretty great. What that doesn't captivate, though, is really what makes this movie genius. And that is just... How ridiculous it is? It's absolutely ridiculous. And I the first note that I, I was rewatching it, the first note that I took down was, this genre is dead and then i tried to figure out (laughs) why is this genre dead and then i realized it's because it's the last 90s movie this is the last (laughs) 90s movie (laughs) and it's amazing i don't care like if no i'm not i'm not gonna stand for not liking this movie (laughs) this movie is fantastic i i adore it it is laugh out loud funny i'm hysterical i'm hysterical the whole way tony shalhoub like just Oh my god. <laughs> He's amazing in this. Well, the funny thing is, this movie came out in 1999. Yep. And I probably saw it for the first time in 2000, 2001. 
And so I didn't appreciate that Tony Shalhoub was playing a burnout stoner actor. The first 15 times I saw this movie. Mm-hmm. And now with the context of being an adult, I understand that that's what was going on there. <laughs> he's, he's so great. He's so so my appreciation of the role has only improved with age. Yeah. Oh my God. It's The movie's hysterical and the timing of this was actually just perfect. This is the reason why it popped into my head to do tonight. I was watching the latest, uh, watching, listening to the latest episode of Armchair Expert and Justin Long is on it. And, oh, really? And the, when I when it saw it pop up and I saw Justin Long, the movie started flipping through my head of things that he was in. And when Galaxy Quest came into focus, I was like, oh my God, we haven't done that yet. <laughs> I actually went, I was like, I could swear, we've talked about it so much. We've actually brought this movie up a ton of times on this show, but we never actually did it. And I went back to the spin tune and I was searched. I was like, Galaxy Quest, Galaxy quest like separately like just trying to make sure that like there wasn't like a goofy title that you did that maybe miss it but uh, i had to scroll through and the funny thing is is there was maybe two or three episodes where it took me a minute to remember what it was that we had done because <laughs> right. i couldn't actually interpret the title um but it only took me about five minutes to go through all the titles and yeah yeah no i, I felt pretty confident that we hadn't done it but no it's oh man i this movie is so much fun it's, well, it's so funny because i've done the same thing a couple of times thinking about it. i was like have we actually done an ex machina or do we just keep talking about right it? right <laughs> now what's funny now j- uh, uh, other than yeah other than the <laughs> entire movie overall though it is a good movie Yes, uh, it, it's it's written it's way well. better than it's way better than it has any right to be. Right for being a parody of Star Trek, and it, being a parody of a parody <laughs> of the real life folks behind the movie, and the, the, twisting that into some reality, it shouldn't. It should just be silly. It shouldn't be good. Yes. But it's a good movie. It has a it has a, a good arc. It they have a good storyline. There's the, okay, pacing, people that have gotten, like, I don't understand how movies have gotten pacing so wrong when this movie gets pacing so right. (laughs) It's just beat after beat. It's just perfect. It's so much fun. It's entertaining. You're always engaged. I, I was writing notes frantically while I was watching the movie. And most of it was quotes just because the quotes are unreal. The funny thing is, is when you consider the time period that this came out in, and the types of movies that would be closest in relation to it. The thing is, I don't really know if they're... It may honestly stand alone in genre. Because, mm. like, the closest thing you could consider is, like, something like the Hot Shots movies, the Naked Gun movies, the Scary movies. Yeah. Where these parodies of a established thing mm-hmm. that, like, that they... But those things are all, like, vignettes of multiple different movies whereas yeah. this parody is just one genre um or you know what actually sorry there is one thing that stands that are more closer towards that time period the mel brooks movies okay those that's actually, are the that's movies a good point. Yeah. those are the things that are the most close to the style of movie this is right where it's yeah it's Galaxy just Quest going... is to star trek as young frankenstein is to frankenstein <laughs> yeah or robin hood men in tights is to the assorted yes. robin hood movie absolutely oh my God. we is... need to do robin hood men in tights <laughs> um and since then the only thing that's anywhere near this and it's even that's stretching the bounds of this definition are the jump street movies 
Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah Which, you're, you're right. But that it's, is a... It, it's like a fusion of reboot and parody. Yeah, it's but it's also... Yeah, that's right. It is. It has the reboot vibe. It is... It's also post the nineties. It's this was the last time you could do this movie because it was ninety nine. Like there's there is just a thing, and I don't know technically what it is. You can't replicate this movie today. No, but that's the thing is like I'm seriously I can come up with like eight total movies in the history of the world that belong in the same category as this, and they come mm. so few and far between. And two of them are made by one set of filmmakers, and mm-hmm. five of them are made by one filmmaker. And then there's this movie. You know what I mean? Like, right. There's Robin Hood, Men in Tights that's doing Robin Hood. There's Spaceball that's doing Star Wars. There's Blazing Saddles that's doing Westerns. Right. There's Young Frankenstein doing monster movies. You know what I mean? Like, like that's it. Oh that God. is the only thing that really fits this genre. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely correct. I, I would be my dream if I could become a filmmaker and pull this off today. That I feel like that would that would be just amazing. <laughs> well, the thing is, the other movies often, I, and I do think actually, there's a certain aspect of the scary movies being underrated for how cleverly they subvert a lot of the stuff because they can be easily dismissed because a lot of it just comes down to vulgar like toilet humor stuff. But there are some there are some diamonds in the rough with those movies. Well, um, the, but, the mistake there though is that Scream in itself was meant to be a parody. Yes. Um, and that it makes it hew too closely to that whole, whole thing, right? right? Um, it almost was unparodyable, which is why they left the scream aspect way behind and said, "Oh, we're gonna do other sorts of movies that are come out, and it won't just exclusively be horror movies that we're making fun of anymore." Um, but this doing real life good satire parody is it requires a level of intelligence that's hard to replicate with a lot of other things because you have to have an intimate knowledge of the thing that you're satirizing and have something new to say about it. Right. Otherwise, you're just making a cheap copy of it, which is a lot, what a lot of those... The, the movies that try to emulate the scary movies or the Naked Gun style of movies, what they don't have the intelligence behind them, so they mm-hmm. become this really cheap, bad, you're lucky if you laugh once or twice thing in it. Right. It's almost like, in this case, it's almost like they had the idea of a good movie and then realized how well it played instead of being a drama as a comedy. <laughs> the, only way, the only way this movie gets made is because they could get a good cast and an excellent That script. is true. It is an A-list cast. And um, that, speaking of, we'll, we'll get deep into that, that cast because it is a tremendous one. But yeah, it's just, but if this, it, if this it's script, so well But if this done. script didn't hold up, it never gets made. No, absolutely not. And the the script is is great for multiple levels. One, it does it does the sci-fi movie, the space movie with battles and like different races and like it does that really well. It on the other side of it, it does it explores characters really well. They are all very real characters to some degree, right? There's you have uh, Peter Quincy Taggart, who is he's he's you know, so involved in this thing and kind of hanging on by a thread, even if he doesn't realize it. Like he's washed up. He's basically a laughing stock to some degree, uh, but he's thriving on the, the the few fans that are left of the show that's been dead for a long time. Then you have this remaining band of actors that can't get work because this was the last thing that they did, and they haven't been able to do something good since then. So like they're all kind of they're in that same boat together. You have. 
just Alan Rickman, man, who his character, Alexander, is a washed up thespian. Like he used to be, like at one point, I, what does he say? At one point I played Hamlet. He goes on his tirade. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. The, and, and then uh, the, um, uh, the, what's the pilot's name? But he, um, he goes, he's like, oh, here we go. As they're, as they're talking, as he's like to, giving his... To, Tommy? Tommy, yeah. <laughs> Tommy, how you've grown. As he gives his uh, <laughs> his whole spiel about like, you know, uh, like, basically his I could have been a contender speech. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Which is amazing. And and it dawned on me in that moment that he's like, just his complete sour personality in this movie. And I know he does. he's done this character. Like he's done the, that sour character throughout his career. Does this propel him to be Snape? Like it's so it's right there. <laughs> like he he's pulling it off in that in these scenes, and it's, it's you know so the, much there's fun to there's watch. shades there's shades of Keaton and Birdman in this role, mm-hmm. where like I could see that being like a direct influence, on right? That, that role. <laughs> oh my god, it's so he. You know what's funny? Do we? He has that freaking. He has the makeup headpiece on the whole movie, the entire movie until it's, until his hair is poking out at one point. The thing is, the fight. The first, the first one or two times I saw this movie, which again, as I said, was like 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. Like I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, I was really confused about the headpiece thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was really a part of his head because we get fucking aliens in the movie yep. so it's like is, is he like am i missing something here until i finally saw his hair poking i was like yeah oh he's oh. been committed to the bit <laughs> he's been daniel day losing this fucking oh, thing yeah. from the start <laughs> oh yeah absolutely oh my god so and then so we get a, a early early on um we get the we get a very young justin long and man he plays super dweeb so good in this and he looks like he's six, and it's so great. good in anything. He what you say? He does that role so good in anything. Oh yeah, he's he's it's awesome his only move. It. It's, it's uh, the version he, of the I, Seth Rogen dice role in acting for him. Yeah, <laughs> I I love him so much though. He's he's, he's only so got one move. <laughs> but uh, man, but right out of the gate though, like the, the, like I said, I, I mentioned the pacing is is quick. Right within the first fifteen minutes of the movie, we understand the relationship these characters have with each other. Uh, we meet aliens, which I is got aliens. we we meet the one of the Thermians, and in the first the first instant where you meet them, and you you as the viewer kind of know what you know what the movie's about, you know where it's going. You can they're they're playing aliens so well. Their body language, they're speaking <laughs> like it's it's amazing. The first time they speak, we need your help. Like it's so it's so over the top. But I, well, so if you good. want to talk about body language, it's specifically the way they run. Oh my god, yeah. With their arms kind of, like, straight. It's... With No, but more importantly, with their arms moving with the same side leg. Yes. Completely flouting everything we know about walking, where yep. your offside arm moves with the stride of your other leg. They, they, pull, they just pull off not understanding how to be human in a human body so well. <laughs> When he says, I, I'm looking for my other shoe, help me find it. And they all just start looking around the room. <laughs> they, like, one of them's looking at the ceiling. One of them's looking outside. It's great. 
It's <laughs> it's so well executed. Oh my god! But the 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 way they speak. and all the people that they cast for those roles, like they stick to the bit throughout the whole movie. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. When they actually, this is a funny anecdote. They uh, they they talk to him. He thinks that it's a gig, right? Because he's been booking gigs where he makes appearances throughout, like for the past twenty years or whatever it is, and. <laughs> They they show up at his house in right before the scene where they show up at his house and he's watching he's watching the TV and he's reciting lines from old shows. He's got a bottle of Glenlivet and this is just this is completely unrelated to Galaxy Quest. But anytime I see a bottle of Glenlivet in a movie, I think of the Mummy. Do you, you think of what? The Mummy. Okay. There's a great. It's just a, it's a complete throwaway scene. There's no reason for it. Uh. I can't remember uh, Rachel Weiss's brother's name in the movie, but he's a great character in the movie. And there's a scene where he's rummaging through the heavy guys, oh, the smelly guy, who they call him, they call him smelly numerous times through the movie, uh, his bag, and he pulls out a bottle of Glenlivet, and he just, he yells out, Glenlivet, 12 years old! He's a smelly booger, <laughs> but he had good taste. And for whatever reason, anytime I see that bottle, that's what I think of. And like clockwork when it showed up on the screen, like I was just like, I just recite it. <laughs> for no reason but so anyway yeah. he's passes out on the floor and you see the aliens bent over sideways knocking on the window <laughs> because he's they're supposed to pick him up in a limousine and they do they get a limo to pick him up <laughs> it's great because he takes it all in his cynical i'm hungover and or drunk at all times way takes yep. everything literally oh yeah whatever and so they take it even more literal like oh you need a limo here you go, limo. The way they take everything so literal is just it's, like it's the whole Drax thing. Yes. Yeah. Oh, they, they, nothing they, would go over my head. Are I would extremely catch it. literal. Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing can go over my head. I would catch it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. Uh, but yeah. So what? He's hitting on the girl in the in the limo, and he's like, "Hey, like, what's up? What's your name?" And then, what's the matter? She doesn't talk. And I think Malthazar goes, "Her translator's broken." And I'm gonna try to. She goes. He looks at her and she tries to speak and she goes. <laughs> like I said, committing to the bit. <laughs> that's that's what's because they, they're so self-aware as they're making it. I think that's what I, I that must be what what makes it work that they know exactly what they're doing. Oh yeah, I mean like they all completely own it, right? Like that, they, like they're they're here doing the thing. Like this is the movie we're doing. We're not gonna. No one's gonna mail it in. Like. Like, the one who comes closest to, like, mailing it in are, like, Alan Rickman and, um, oh my god, why did I just blank on her name? Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. But it's because their characters right. are mailing it in. <laughs> exactly. Like, computer, show us the historical documents, you know? <laughs> Can you stop like, I have doing to that? Be it's here. getting really annoying. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I, the, it's the one thing that I get to do, and I'm going to do it the best that I can. <laughs> I love it. You know what? They also do. Yeah, that, you, you're absolutely right. Like they, that's they're phoning it in because their characters are supposed to be phoning it in. Yes. And uh, man, it they they play it all so well. There's a lot of there's a lot of fun little slapstick stuff that goes on too, and cl- in clever ways. Like when Taggart's on the ship, or Peter, whatever you want to call, him. he's got multiple names in the movie. Uh, when Tim Allen's on the ship. And in the in like the first time he's on the ship, the amount of time that he goes, and, and the the amount of time that the audience knows but he doesn't that he's on a spaceship, 
And the way that they drag that out, it's they they cut it off just before it gets to be too much. And they do it I I again pacing execution. It's all perfectly done. It's so much. Yeah. It's so it's it's great. The uh, when he's sitting in the chair and he's you know his shirt's untucked. He looks like a slob. He's got his sunglasses on. He's checking his watch while they're being threatened by this. The, oh, this alien creature looks great on the screen. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah like, fire, wow, it looks fire, so realistic or whatever. Like fire both cannons. Uh, do this, do that, and then he gets up and he goes to walk out and he goes. Uh, oh, but uh, Cyrus, what if he survives? Oh, but I gave him both cannons. He'll be fine. And then <laughs> he walks off the ship. It's so great. And that, but that what's amazing is that's when he finds out. He finally finds out that it's real. When he goes back and, and he transports back through that like slime goop teleportation thing. <laughs> yeah. And when he's fully in trying to explain to his crew to get... Guys, I went to space. <laughs> and how do you explain one of these? And he holds up the communicator and then they all grab their, communic- <laughs> their fake yeah. communicator from the show and hold it up. <laughs> oh my goodness. So fun. When they... Uh, from then, we actually... They group them all together. They all they all go on the uh, they go in the pod, and obviously, obviously, crewman number six goes with them because he's in the he's in the room. And uh, Sam Rockwell, man, my God, is he fantastic in this movie? Peter, Peter, God? Peter, Peter, mm. Quincy, 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 Quincy. <laughs> tag, tag. Uh, yeah, guy. Uh, just call me guy. Uh, crewman number six. He's he goes with them when they all get transported to the ship, and they're all in utter shock. And the aliens, the aliens come in to the room to greet them on the ship. They've just traveled through space. Don't think it's a real thing. Traveled through space, land on the ship. These aliens come in looking like octopus, right? Like have these, these giant squid-like creatures, and they're like making all sorts of crazy noises and trying, trying. What they're trying to do is hand them their equipment, <laughs> but they can't. <laughs> Because they, they're all, all the characters are frozen because they're freaking out. And then they transform into their more human-like appearances to make the others more comfortable. They're all still in shock, but Sam Rockwell gives this incredible scream. Yes. <laughs> it's just, it's 20 seconds too late, which makes the delivery right on time. <laughs> Yeah, his his screams and Tommy's screams throughout the course of the movie. Yep, are kind of like the like the metronome by which you like he paced throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Like one or the other of them is screaming high pitched, whatever. Like absolutely. And then when Tony Shalhoub comes in and he lands, he lands in the ship after traveling at like light speed through space into the ship. D gels and he goes, huh, that was a hell of a thing. <laughs> and he's just ready to go. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, I didn't realize like the hallmarks of like, oh, like he's just like high and like doing his thing yep. all the time. Like, you know, the ho- like, hey guys, we're down here and uh the, this and that, and, you know. Uh oh, like the the guys had an idea about uh the Omega 13. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, the guys are telling me it's pretty bad, the ship's falling apart as as things are exploding and characters are flying across screen. <laughs> Behind him. <laughs> yes. And then what about uh when they figure I forget what it is that they figure out, but he goes, guys, you did it again. Great job. Come on, group hug. Group hug. Yeah. <laughs> He's amazing. Who's the best character? I'm gonna give you three options to choose from. Okay. Is it Crewman number six, 
Tony Shalhoub, who I can't think of his name in the actual movie. Fred. Fred Kwan. Is it crewman number six, Fred or Mathazar? <laughs> um, Quellic. <laughs> Which one's Quellic? The one who idolizes Alan Rickman. That one, he is pretty great. He's pretty. Um, he, also, he also delivers the most dramatic scene in the movie. Yes. Um, Rest the in one peace. that I referenced in in our open. Um, no, I, it's probably the right answer is probably either Fred or Guy. Mm-hmm. I um, I've always thought it was Guy, but I think it's Fred. Fred just has some great like it's just like the like how cool he is like uh, you know when he's setting up the whole thing with the the matter transfer you know when they're gonna beam him up Scotty and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just say, yeah, hey guys, like, well, yeah, well, wow, that was a hell of a thing. Like, just like yeah, yeah. The, the understated, like, super cool. Like, guys, I think I'm gonna stay here. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I have the, my favorite one, which I didn't, I wrote it down uh, because I actually didn't remember the line previously. But I, guy goes, all right, I'm gonna go hold them off, and Frank goes, but that's suicide. And he goes, I'm just a, I'm just a crewman. I'm gonna die anyway. I gotta go out with a reason. He goes, do you ever think you were just maybe the plucky comic relief? And he goes, what? And he goes, plus, uh, I just had a really good idea. (laughs) (laughs) He is is stoned. He is stoned through the whole movie. It's great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I love the, you know, really the standout for Sam Rockwell is, we'll do it like episode 78 or whatever it was. Episode 78? Yeah, you got a problem with that? Do you know what happened in episode 78? I don't know what happened in 78. I died in episode <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, when they're also when they're on the plane, he's the only one that's like that, like fully gets what's going on. And when they're on the planet, and she's like, "Oh, they're so cute." And he grabs Sigourney Weaver, and he's like, "Did you guys ever even watch the show?" Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know how it's gonna happen. They might be cute now, but at some point, they're gonna get mean and gross, and they're gonna rip us apart. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure it's what. No, you don't know that. You don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even have a last name. Do you even know what my last name is? Mm, I didn't have a last name. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, he's his screaming is uh, it screaming is gonna go one of two ways in a movie. It's either gonna be hysterical or annoying as hell. Yes. With him, it's hysterical. Yeah, because even you even get some of that dichotomy with Tommy's character, where it's funny sometimes, and then it just gets annoying. Yeah, after a while, when he's when they whatever it is they get oh when they they go through uh, they they turbo for too long and the ship breaks or whatever it is, and he's like he's screaming on the floor. Mm-hmm. That gets to be too much, but then when one of them picks him up and he's kicking his legs, it makes it funny again. <laughs> That's the Family Guy school of uh, yep, comedy. Absolutely. <laughs> Now, uh, you had mentioned Quillick. Quillick, that's his name? Quillick, yeah. Quillick being one of the best characters. Completely agree for one reason. And that is the scene where they beam the pig up. <laughs> when they're... What ha- what's happening there? Okay? I, I hear squealing. Nothing, everything's fine. It's inside out. Did you it's say it's what? inside out? <laughs> and it exploded. And now it exploded. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. It's... He, it's, it's very clever. The um, 
Oh my god. What about when they're all the characters being taken away by uh I was gonna say Sauron. That's not his name. What's the bad guy's name? Saris? Saris. Saris' men is taking all like has them all uh being taken away and then Peter and uh Alec Alexander go back and forth and he realizes, Oh like we're doing a bit and they they, mm-hmm. they like they start a fight. Oh to- yes. Like episode whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but then after all that goes down, they pretty much they don't pull it off. But uh, but Fred opens up the hatch and they all go flying out. And he goes, door's a little sticky. I'll get one of my guys to come and take a look at it. Bring up a can of WD-40. Because <laughs> he's just completely in it. He's just in it at this point. Oh, definitely. Uh, oh, man. I, I could watch this movie over and over again. I, I I did appreciate speaking of Saris, I think they did a good job balancing like his usage in the movie because he is like the generic over the top like alien villain, right? Who is like just con- like conqueror, death to all type of situation, yeah. like a very one note character with a little bit of cruel cunning to him, you know, where like that's like they give him one interesting hook, right? Mm. Where his specific relationship to the Thermians and the way that they've like exploited and manipulated them. Like the fact that they are this cruel, cunning, destructive race who fully knows their prey and knows exactly the way to hurt them um, and revels in it. Yeah. But giving him that, that bit of like cunning where he's always a step ahead, even when they really have the defeat, he still finds a way to keep himself a step ahead up until the very end. He just kind of runs out of luck. Yeah. I, I, I think they did a really good job of, you saw him a couple of times, he's here, he's there, but it's just the looming threat of him. Yeah. The, his idea of, like, understanding at the beginning that this is a relatively one-note character. Mm-hmm. His most interesting aspect is as a plot device. So let's just let him be that. He doesn't need a ton of screen time. He'll maximize it. And a lot of that is a credit to um, Robin Sachs. Rest in peace, by the way. Great voice actor. Um, but just knowing, like, he's going to carry the few scenes we give him. Right. So let's really play up that aspect. Because you hear a lot of times with movies like this. Well, not the, well, we already said there's not many movies like this. But you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's a criticism you see in the MCU. Like, oh, like, they didn't fully flesh out the villain. They didn't give him a lot of screen time. That's a conscious choice where it's, hey... We have a thing or two that's interesting, but really not enough. Yeah. We'll do more of a credit by just having the looming existential threat about him. Right. Be the most important part of him, and then let him really nail the couple of times we give him extended screen time. And then just get him out of the way, because what's most interesting to this story is this collection of characters doing the fish out of water thing, and playing up the parody of what these sorts of people would be doing and and turning it entirely on its head in, okay, that thing that they were pretending to do, they got to do for real now. Right. It's almost like the trading places type of thing, right? Where it's like, you know, could you do the thing on the other side, right? Would you be just as successful? Right. Except instead it's, instead of trading places, it's, <laughs> you know that thing that you pretend to do? Now it's real. Fuck you. What are you going to do about it? Because and playing up the sci-fi and the whole existential crisis that they're in, that's the more compelling thing. Like the it's the man versus environment situation as opposed to a man versus man, yeah, and absolutely. understanding that that's the central narrative that needs to be 
fleshed out. So it's so well done. The at bringing building everything, the ship, the controls, everything off of the historical documents, and then pull. Especially it. when you consider how shitty, because it's not just like a network TV thing. It's specifically like the 1960s era of Star Trek. Yeah. Exactly. Even and though like, they were making that show in it, like like the pistons mm-hmm. are so bad. Pulling pull, pulling pulling these... on that and making that like the entire like building the entire ship off of that though is what it adds so much to it, including like just when he's when eventually uh, Tommy's like what rewatching the videos and he's like pedal to the metal and he's making sure that he <laughs> understands how to control the ship. And then my favorite thing was when they try to explain historical the the vid- TV to them. Yes. Surely you don't think Gilligan's Island, oh, those, <laughs> those poor, poor people. people. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> that's that's one of those committing to the bit lines. That's like, wow, like you you have you so have your finger on the like you so know what you're trying to pull off here. Like they have it, and yes, to your point, the Pistons. When when they're in the when they're going to f- the underbelly to find like, to where the uh, omega thirteen was it where the omega thirteen device is is that where they're going yes. and yes. Uh, they're going through the chompers and they finally get through of it and Gwen she's freaking out so Gwen Weaver's like like she's just like this television show is poorly written. <laughs> she's just like she, she doesn't know what else to say. She's so mad. In that scene. And then when the two of them finally push the button, again, committing to the bit, they push the button and nothing happens. And it stops at one second left. And of course they, they're like, what the hell? And Peter is like, right, on the show it always stops at one second. Yeah. That's, that's again, they, they so good. Or how about while they're on the spaceship and Justin Long's character is guiding them through it and then he has to go take out the trash. <laughs> that's the, that's back to that slapstick humor that I was talking yes. about earlier. Like it's just like 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 what else is gonna happen? Really, really, he has to go take out the trash. And it's like, and it's even like a bit of a meta joke to the Murphy's Law like aspect of like TV or movie writing. Like, what's yep. the worst possible thing that could happen now? The worst possible thing that could happen right now is the guy who's walking you through it. He's just gonna walk away for. A completely unimportant reason, as he's screaming to his mom. I don't think you understand the gravity of the situation right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, like, fully developing that character and uh, kind of grounded in it. I, I could relate to him. <laughs> and when the, when he's going out, and he's got all the fireworks. Hey, where are you going? Uh, me and a couple of friends. We gotta go out to the, the wherever. Like, we gotta like we have to guide in the ship. It's coming in real hot. We have to we have to use the the fireworks. All right, we'll be back by eight. And then he leaves, and the father looks to the mother, and she goes, "At least he's out of the house." <laughs> it's a great line. Now, I, I, we've pretty much run through the whole movie, but there's just one thing that I want to loop back on, and that was when they went to the planet to get the beryllium sphere. Yes. On the way there, guy starts freaking out in the ship. And he's like, I don't want to go, man. I don't want to go. And he's like, you've been begging us to come this whole time. Like, what? <laughs> when they finally get down to the planet and, like, all, everything goes down. Well, actually, one more side, aside here. When they're looking at the, when they're looking at those little aliens. Do you think those are the miners? Yeah, of course. They gotta be, like, three years old. 
Miners, not minors. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, and that's uh, like going back to what we said about it being cleverly written. Like they found out a way, the layers of what's going on in the story of we're doing a direct straight parody of Star Trek. Yeah. While at the same time, actually self-parodying itself. Yep. Internally, like the structure of the movie itself. The... Like, it's like the Inception staircase that, like, walks around and then still comes back on it. So, like, like I, I don't understand the mental gymnastics it takes to be able to do that. I am just, it, I'm yeah. not, I do not have the mind, I don't have the capacity to do that sort of thing. But I'm able to see it and appreciate it. Absolutely. Like, I have to imagine that you write and rewrite, right? Like, you write the story and then rewrite segments to fill in those silly pieces the other option in my head would be like you you write the sketch, like the sketch comedy that's going to happen within it and then tie it together. But I have to imagine that they went the other way with it simply because, again, the pacing, the way the story flows, the fact that it's a cohesive story start to finish, it feels like they wrote the story and peppered in the other stuff. I can't imagine doing all of that at once. Yeah, it just is incredible to me that they could both keep all these ties to the things externally that they're referring to while also being able to refer back to itself yeah. and the things that are build it's building up throughout the course of the story. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And and to what you're saying, like the balance of the characters and stuff, like they filled all the requisite roles, like of like the tropes of those sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. Like the most direct comparable is that Taggart is playing the William Shatner oh, yeah. himself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but all of them are really playing like a dark timeline version of that show, right? Where William Shatner becomes an absolute burnout, like dark depression. Maybe that's who he was in real life, but I've just never seen that or heard sure. of that. Like he, he seems to play a, a parody like version of himself in real life anyway, right? Um, but it seems like a relatively like happy-go-lucky version, and why the hell not? He got made a ton of money, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like the aspect you're saying, where like all of them are like they, they can't get work elsewhere. Like that's largely been true of the other like Star Trek characters. Right, but they he's never but he's still able to live off of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and kind of eat it and, up. But at the same point, checking all those boxes was one thing. Again, the tie into the external motivation, but the internal motivation they give everyone. Even the lesser characters, not just within the crew, but like a Quellic or whatever, they give every one of them one time to shine. Yeah. Everyone gets their one moment, right? Tommy figures out how to fly the ship. Um, Alex gets his opportunity that by Grabthar's hammer, I'll avenge you as he runs down and beats the ever-loving shit out of that guy. Yeah. Quellic gets that moment, you know... Even though we've only just met, I've always viewed you as a father. Yeah. Um, you know, Mathazar gets a few. Tagger gets a few things. Guy, you know, gets his final moment in, the, you know, he gets his slapstick comedy moments a couple of times. And then he gets his moment to shine where he's become the action hero he never thought he could be, right? Um, mm-hmm. Gwen gets her historical documents. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, she gets, like, everyone, like, she also has, like, a couple of, like, quiet moments where she carries it. She gets, like, that one or two rants that she gets, right? I think Everyone... her, uh, for me with her, though, I actually, it, it, we're joking about the historical documents thing, though. Committing to it and being like, okay, this is my job. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it well. Like, that That was, actually, yes. I actually thought that was pretty great. <laughs> yes. Um, everyone gets one. You know what I mean? Like, everyone gets yeah. their moment to shine where it's like, it justifies having 
spent any time with them where they why they might not have tightened the group of uh the cast members right where there's what five or six of them they could have been three you know what i mean sure seven there were seven of them they could have done it with like three or four of them you know what i mean right, like right um and mathazar somehow manages to play both the comedic relief and the straight man how which i like he was playing like um what, what was his name um what the hell is abbott and costello he's playing abbott and costello yeah yeah <laughs> how can you play abbott and costello but he's he's like because he's so literal, he's playing the straight man. Right. But everyone is laughing at his expense. Yeah. Because of his character. The you character. Know, our last hope. <laughs> he's playing such a caricature of that sort of the alien, like you know, where it's like two different world situation. But he's doing it as the straight man. Like I, I don't understand how the amount of weightlifting he had to do. Yeah. In the role. Oh, that was that. It's incredible. You know, on top. So like. We've mentioned a lot of this already, but the understanding like they, they wrote a, a cohesive story. They they pulled in these really hysterical side sketches. They did some reoccurring jokes throughout, uh, reoccurring lines throughout, which like they they, they really made they they made the whole movie an experience. They even they didn't miss any of like the comedic beats, right? They even had. The background jokes were the ones that you you realize when you listen or watch the movie over and over again. Like, they're leaving the planet, and Gwen goes, come on, let's get off this planet before something kills Guy. <laughs> like, it's so it's so aware of itself in the yes. best way. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. Like, the ability to jump through those hoops of referencing the thing that it both loves and wants to lampoon. Yep. And the best lampooning is done when there is a, man of, a certain amount of I'll, love for yeah, the source absolutely. material. Yeah. But then also being able to self-reference and self-parody itself. You know, the, what about God? <laughs> you right, know? right. Oh my goodness. Um, I adore this movie so much. And I also think it's a true testament to how good this movie is. That from what I've seen, um, engaging some with... The Orville, which in a lot of ways is a spiritual successor to this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible. I didn't realize that within the Star Trek community that's still alive and well 50 plus years later, um, this movie has been semi-officially canonized in the Star Trek universe to the best that I was able to see. What do you um, mean? Because of how... Well, to, because of how... The Star Trek movies and TV show have played with time and space so often. I this has been given like unofficial sanction as a part of the Star Trek canon as an alternate timeline, essentially. What? That's because that's it's so amazing. Because it's so lovingly lampoons yeah. the thing that it's referencing, right? Yeah, it's almost like the holiday that, special being canonized. I, well, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually as different from that as anything could be from any other thing. <laughs> well, well, no. <laughs> you know how like green and red are completely direct opposites of each other. <laughs> well, this movie and that movie are the direct opposites of each other. The only common factor is that they're movies. Just like the only common factor between green and red is that they're both colors. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. To from what I can see, I don't know if this is unanimous, but I think consensus has been grandfathered in as part of the star trek thing and maybe we'll get listen we would love to hear from you guys if you're a huge trekkie maybe you hate what i just said but what i was reading some stuff about i was reading i think it was 
on a, like a Reddit thing about the Orville, they were weighing whether that should be given the same treatment that mm. Galaxy Quest was. And I went on a little mini rabbit hole and found out that apparently it's very well regarded by hardcore Trekkies. That's great. That's awesome. I was surprised. I thought they would hate it. It's, it's so funny. Uh, that, it's it's so good. It's so entertaining. One of my favorites. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know what it is? It's it's so clever in, in when it picks and chooses when it decides whether it's going to play straight to convention or just utterly invert it. Because you have something like... Like the idea of this conquering alien race that's one note and they look alien they act alien they just hate and want to kill for killing's sake right it's you see that in how many of these things it's dime a dozen and then you have something like guy who is tweaking the notion of the red shirt right <laughs> and he's wearing a red shirt because <laughs> i'm doing the in episode 78 <laughs> <laughs> yes, and doing that whole thing, and instead he ends up not only surviving but thriving through yep. the course of this whole thing. Um, ju- those two examples show you the when it chooses to lean into it, it leans in with full conviction, and when it chooses to flip the whole thing, it can totally do it, and it feels perfectly normal and natural. Absolutely, one of the uh, amazing this a movie like this. One of the things that can also make it stand out is it has a tremendously high rewatchability score. Like, yes, I've seen this movie many times. This is one of those. If it, it's like if it was, I don't have TV anymore. But if you're flipping through channels and this is on, there's no way I'm, I'm turning past it. Oh, this is a classic Saturday morning Comedy Central movie. Yeah, oh my god, it's I I remember back in the day it being on like yeah like a tbs comedy something like that i think just, yeah i think it was comedy central maybe it was tbs and every time it would come on i would just be like oh it's 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 that movie that i love <laughs> like it's just so it's so good and i nobody i i'm so glad that you appreciate it because at the time nobody else appreciated it like my parents i was young my parents didn't get it i don't think my sister really got it oh no this is a bielsey family staple oh that's great that's great it's it's so funny. Oh my god, I adore this movie. Do you have anything else? Uh, my final note on this is: Can you tell, based on this previous conversation, that I actually did not get an opportunity to watch this before we recorded this episode? <laughs> I, I figured that you wouldn't, which is why I thought I'd try to bring as many scenes as possible because they would they would spark your memory. That's what I need is just that little spark, and yep. then I can riff on it. Yep, that, that's fair. Alright, that's all for this week's episode of Flicks in the Six. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have a movie for us to review or nuggets for us to discuss, you can send those requests to Flicks in the Six at Spintune.com or tweet us at the Spintune with the hashtag FLI6. Tune in next week for more movie and beer goodness. Until then, I'm Anthony Costanzo. And I'm Albiolsi. Never give up. Never surrender. Yeah.